around the world today. Millions, countless millions of Christians are gathering together uh, to remember the most significant death in all of human history. There's something in our humanity that kind of rises up when we think about the death of a good person and we want to remember it time and time and time again. But nothing has ever lasted, nothing has ever had as much meaning as the death of Jesus. And so today, millions and millions and millions of Christians are gathering all around the world. There is no other day on the Christian calendar where so many Christians come together like Good Friday. Uh, more people come to church, more people gather in homes, more people gather around a communion table on Good Friday than they do at Christmas time. You know, there's an estimated 2 billion Christians worldwide, and Christianity today is exploding at the fastest rate since the first century. Now, sometimes we miss that and don't understand that. Uh, we're, we're living at a time in history when secular society gets all the airplay, and because of that, uh, what is happening for the cause of Christ is kind of being minimised and we're not realising the fullness of it. There's a perception here in Australia that Christianity is a dying faith and it's only because that uh, we live down under in this little corner of the earth that we don't realise what's happening everywhere else. You know, China's in revival, Asia's in revival, India's in revival, parts of Eastern Europe are in revival, Africa's in revival. South America is in revival. Large parts of Oceania are in revival. The majority of the world is in revival. And our day is coming. Our day is coming. As sure as I stand here, as sure as the sun is going to come up tomorrow, our day is coming. There will be a day when we will see an outpouring of the Spirit of God here in Australia. The majority of the world is in revival. And there's only one reason for it. And that reason is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the reason for this worldwide revival that is taking place. Because Jesus died on the cross of Calvary and rose again from the dead on the third day, the world is in revival. But the big question that I want to kind of address this morning is why is that happening? Why after 2,000 years... Are people still coming and still responding to the message of the cross? Why is that happening? If you've been attending services here at Catalyst over the last few weeks, uh, you'd be aware that we're in a series called Imaginary Jesus. We've been asking the question, you know, what do you actually imagine Jesus to be like? A lot of people see Jesus as somebody who just kind of reaches out a helping hand, a kind of Boy Scout Jesus. Others seen as a social justice Jesus, a champion of justice. Others as an eight-ball Jesus. I saw a movie uh, some years ago called Accidental Hero, starred Justin Hoffman. That was one of those movies that I think is worth seeing. It's safe to see. Uh, it's an only 92 movie, I think. But the, the whole point of the story is that there's two big criminal named Bernie just happens by chance to arrive at the scene of a major air disaster. And his plan is to see what he can steal from the wreckage, from the carnage, even from the bodies 
I'll go through the seats. And as he goes into the wreckage of the plane, he gets his humanity kind of catches up with him because there's people alive and he begins to rescue them and bring them to safety. And so he's an accidental hero. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. He gets caught up in the drama and becomes an accidental hero. See, that's how some people see Jesus in the context of Easter. Most people acknowledge that Jesus existed. People don't have any problem with that from a historical perspective. People consider that Jesus was a good man, no doubt about that. But a lot of people simply just think that Jesus was in the wrong place at the wrong time, got caught up in the drama and became an accidental hero. They think he died on the cross of Calvary by accident. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further removed from what actually took place in the purposes of God. Because Jesus died intentionally. And I really want us to understand that this morning. Jesus' death was an intentional death. He died for the sin of the world. His mission on earth always included dying on the cross. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus had a death wish. He intentionally died for all who lived before him. He died for all those who lived at his time. And he died for all of us who lived in the future. Jesus was always a key part of God's redemptive plan. He was always a part of that plan. Right from the beginning of time, in all of eternity, God's plan was for Jesus to die on the cross. And I think I can help you understand this by explaining it this way. When we think about God, you know, we think about God in all of his magnificence. And we think about God as being omnipotent, you know, all-powerful. It was God who spoke the worlds into place. Just by the power of his word. Powerful God. Omnipotent God. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. You can never surprise God. There's nothing that will ever take place on the planet in your life that he doesn't know about. And of course, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. He's got that supernatural capacity to be everywhere, in everyone's life, all at once. We have to see God like that, don't we? Otherwise, he's just like us. We reduce God to a kind of a man-like being. And that just wouldn't work. And there wouldn't be any point in it. Any point in worship. God is magnificent. God is all-powerful. He's beyond anything that we can possibly imagine. But central to the attributes of God is something that we don't always talk a lot about. Those of us who have a personal faith with Christ would understand that this is the truth, but nevertheless we don't talk a lot about it. And that's the fact that God is a relater. First of all, he's a relater. He wants to relate to you and to me. And from the beginning until today, it's always been like that. It's never changed. It's never been any different. God has always wanted to relate to us. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, we see that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. What an incredible thought. The God of the universe, the omnipotent God, 
walked with a man in the cool of the evening by his choice. He wanted to relate to Adam. In Psalm 18 verse 19 it says, He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Think about that. God delights in us. One of my favourite Psalms, Psalm 8 says, When I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which are done, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Awesome. See, God wants to relate to us. And he's always wanted to relate to us. And more than anything else, he wants to relate to you as well. Every one of us. That's his dream. So God created Adam to relate to him. And God wanted that relationship to be spontaneous. So he gave Adam free choice. He could choose between the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, God never wanted this relationship to be something kind of stereotyped, something uh, sort of built into our DNA so that we couldn't do anything about it. He wanted it to be an act of our free will. And so he gave Adam this incredible choice and Adam chose knowledge. He chose knowledge not because he talked him into it. He chose knowledge because he wanted to be like God. In, in actual fact, he rebelled from God. He pulled away from God. And God's dream of relationship with mankind seemed to be dead. But here's something about God that we see right consistent through all the scriptures. And I think it's one of the most encouraging things we can remember today. God is big-hearted. God is faithful. God is forgiving. And God is persevering. And God will not give up on us. And God didn't give up on his dream. God did not give up on his hope that he'd be able to relate to us. And he saw a man called Abraham. And he saw that his dream of relationship could be resurrected in this man. man. And so he goes to Abraham and he gives him a glimpse of the future. And he allows Abraham to see down the corridors of time. And he's able to see himself as the father of many nations with so many descendants that he can't even count them. Abraham catches the dream. He gets up and he begins a journey towards his ultimate destiny, a destiny that has included all of us even to this very day. Abraham was the father of faith. Abraham would become the father of the ecclesia of God, the called out one which we call the church today. And Abraham's sons, Isaac and Jacob, called this dream for relationship as well. So God's dream seemed alive and well. But then Satan struck. And through a whole lot of circumstances, these people ended up in Egypt. And for 400 years, the dream seemed dead. Seemed like it was all over. But God persisted with his dream. Remember, God never gives up on us. Not for one minute does God give up on us. And a man called Moses rises up. 
and he catches the dream. And your whole nation sets course again on the journey to fulfill the dream, to relate to God. And they come up out of Egypt into freedom. And it all seems well. But on the way, Satan strikes again. And in the desert, the dream, the dream dies. And for 40 years, he's dead on the desert sands. But God doesn't give up on us. God's persistent. Then when Joshua takes charge of God's people, leads them into the promised land, and again, just when everything seems well, Satan ambushes them again and attempts to destroy the dream. And through the period of the judges, the dream would rise and it would fall and it would rise and fall and rise and fall and it would rise with certain men and one brilliant woman. And the dream would be alive. Men like Othaniel and Ehud and that great prophet warrior, Deborah, Gideon, Samson, others. And then we come into that season, that period of the kings. Men like David and Solomon kept the dream alive. And others like the eight-year-old boy King Josiah even. But Satan kept breaking in on the party every time when it seemed like God's people were learning the lessons and understanding that God really wanted to relate to them, Satan would break in and the dream would die. Men like Samuel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Nehemiah and a whole bunch of other prophets would speak out and resurrect the dream just at the point where it seemed dead. And for a season relationship between God and man was restored and then it would die again. Then God's people who were God's caretakers of the dream rebelled one time too many and God divorced Israel and the dream was dead and for 400 long years it seemed like it was all over. But remember God never gives up on us. God never gives up. God perseveres. He had a plan. And despite Israel turning the message of love and relationship into a very formal religion with all kinds of rules and regulations, God stuck to his plan and entered Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate caretaker of this dream. To relate with us. Jesus, God's only Son, sent to earth in the form of a man who had God's Spirit in him, born of a woman, to explain God to us once and for all so that we would understand once and for all how we could relate to him. So that we could be reconciled with God and enter into an intimate, personal, one-on-one relationship with him. Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, God amongst men. It was God's dream of relationship being made possible. It was the most sensational time in all of human history because God the Father is omniscient, omniscient, because he is all-knowing. 
Jesus was always a part of the plan. God always knew that we were likely to fire. We were likely to take the shortcuts. We were likely to fall away from the rules that were meant to protect us, the laws that were meant to protect us, and surround our life with grace and love. God always knew this. And that's why Jesus was always a part of the plan. Jesus was God's redemptive plan. Jesus was God's buyback scheme, if you like. It was always God's plan that Jesus would die on the cross of Calvary for the sin of the world. Always his plan. All the way through history, whenever men and women wanted to relate to God, there was this war between God and man called sin. This ugly war called sin. We saw it demonstrated, illustrated a few minutes ago. See, God is a holy God. That means he's, he, he's pure. He's spotless, without blemish. He is so far separated from us because of his holiness, because of his sinlessness. And this sin that we have created a wall, made it impossible for us to speak one-on-one intimately with him. Only Jesus could change that. God's a holy God. There's nothing bad in him. Every time we try to live up to God's high standards, we sin and we build that wall higher. Sin is falling short of God's extremely high standards for our life. Standards that we can never live up to unless we've got Christ within us and the power of Christ within us. We're born with inherent sin. And because of the choice that the first man, Adam, made, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to separate yourself from God and someone had to pay for that sin. But there was never anyone good enough to pay for that sin. The penalty for sin is death. But because God is so gracious and God is so loving and God is so forgiving, he instituted a blood sacrifice system where animals could be sacrificed in our place. Theological term is substitutionary atonement. The priests would sacrifice an animal and the blood would flow over the altar. And when the blood flowed over the altar, the sins of man could be forgiven. But it was temporary. It was temporary. It could never work forever. It had to be repeated time and time again because men and women sin time and time again. It just couldn't work forever. An animal can't die in the place of a man, so ultimately a man had to die for a man. And only a man who was better than any other man. Where would we find such a man? How could they find such a man? Well, only one man was sinless. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why Jesus had to die. That's why he died in our place. He died for our sin. And that's why the blood of Jesus is so precious. That's why we sing songs like nothing but the blood. Hebrews 9 verse 12 says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. 
Jesus was always going to die. There was nothing accidental about it. He died for the redemption of mankind. On the night that Jesus instituted communion, Jesus tells his disciples that he would shortly die. He knew what was up ahead. In John 6 verse 16 it says, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. You see, he understood perfectly what was ahead. Jesus knew what was just around the corner for him. Jesus knew that his death for all mankind was at hand, was imminent. And soon after saying this to his disciples, Jesus was on his own in an olive grove, praying. He knew what was ahead of him. And he's praying to his father. He's pleading with his father because he knows exactly what lies ahead for him. You know, I think this incident in the garden, this time of prayer that Jesus had with the Father, gives us one of the best glimpses into his humanity. We don't always understand, easily at least, the fact that Jesus was God-man. He was God in the flesh. He had a side to him that just reeked of humanity. He understood what we feel and how we feel and the emotions we feel. And this gives us a glimpse into just how real that humanity was because he knows what the cross is. You know, the cross was a shameful way to die at that period in history. I guess at any time in history. You know, criminals, the worst kind of criminals were crucified and they died the worst kinds of death possible. Now, it wasn't a glorious way to die and Jesus didn't want to die that way. His humanity was crying out, there's got to be some other way. But the God in him carries him above his humanity and he goes willingly to his death. Luke 22 and 42 says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Jesus doesn't want to die on this cross, or at least his humanity doesn't, but the God in him says, yet not my will, but yours be done. There was no accident in his death. And this is reinforced with, I think, his heroic response. Just a few minutes later, when they come to arrest him, Peter, with a rush of blood, attacks those who are coming to get him, cuts off somebody's ear. Jesus' reply was, put up your sword, Peter. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? As John 18 verse 11 gives us a wonderful feature of his intentionality to die on that cross. And with that, Jesus went intentionally to his death to take away the sin of the world so that you and I could be reconciled with God. There's never been a greater death in all of history. There never will again be a greater death in all of history like the death of Jesus. And on this good Friday as we gather together, it's my hope, it's my prayer that we appreciate with fresh revelation, just how great his love for us is.
from Luke 23 and verse 33. It says, When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on the right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar, and they said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults in him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. In Matthew and Mark, it says that the, the uh, curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. I think that symbolizes that God took the initiative. It was torn from God's end. And the way was made open into the Holy of Holies so that we could have this intimacy with God on a daily place. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said that, he breathed his last. I like the words in uh, John where it says um, it is finished and it was finished once and for all it was finished and we will reconcile with God if we accept the message of the gospel if we accept Jesus as a personal saviour if we accept that Jesus died for us personally it is good Friday it's a good Friday because we remember the fullness of everything that Jesus did. No accidental hero, but an intentional saviour, the saviour of the world, the one who came to redeem us, set us free from the bondages of sin so that we can have eternal relationship with God the Father. We're going to share communion together. And this morning... We want to do this in community. Uh, we've got six stations around the auditorium, three here at the front and three across the back of the auditorium. And what we'd like you to do is just go to the nearest station, but to go in groups. If you're sitting with some of your home group, connect group, go with them. Or if you're sitting with family, go with family. We'd like you to come to the tables and serve yourselves and then step away from the table, make room for others and pray, thank the Lord for his sacrificial death, his atoning death. Eat the bread, drink the wine, 
in remembrance of him until he comes. This is a wonderful, privileged moment that we have. And I believe it can be a sacred moment for you. I wonder this morning if there's anybody in this uh, room who has never made that personal commitment to Christ. I just want to say to you that this is just the best opportunity for you to make that commitment to Him. A lot of people wonder why Jesus died. And they ask this question, what is, what is the death of Jesus all about? Well, it was all about you, you see. It was all about you and all about me. Because we were never going to be good enough without this sacrificial death of Jesus. He died for you. And if you can accept that this morning, and I hope you will, I hope you'll be honest with yourself today because you know in the depth of your heart that you're a sinner, that you fall short of God's standards. You know what you're capable of when no one's looking. You know that. That's what separates you from God, that the only thing that can reconcile you with God is accepting Jesus as your Saviour. If, if you want to do that this morning, it's as simple as saying, Lord Jesus, I receive you now as my personal Saviour and I want to live according to your ways for the rest of my life. I make you my Lord, my leader and my Saviour. That's all you've got to do. Then you can share this communion with us as well. Your first communion. And celebrate the Lord. So we're going to take those opportunities now to share this communion. There's going to be movement. There's going to be a little bit of jostling. But that's community. And as you come, try and do it in groups. Try and do it with somebody who knows to you. Just be a part of this wonderful opportunity to remember the Lord's death.